everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. For those who don't know me, I am a political nerd from the U.S. with experience working in the domestic political space, but with a background in international security policy and a number of years under my belt living outside the country, I'm well positioned to give my American audience a view of things going on outside the U.S. and some of my foreign listeners um, a little bit of insight on just what the hell is happening in my own country, which is what I try to do in this podcast that I am still figuring out how exactly to bring back. So I wasn't originally thinking that I would do an episode this week, because I'm supposed to be on vacation. Uh, I also thought that the next episode of the show might focus on the fact that the former president appears to have gone full QAnon, uh, or on a conversation that I'm hoping to have soon with somebody on the ground in Colombia to talk about the interesting new political dynamics in that country. But those things, uh, I guess, are just going to have to wait, uh, along with packing, it would seem, because over the last slightly more than 24 hours, there's been a bunch of huge news breaking out of uh, Russia and around their vicious genocidal invasion uh, of their neighbor. Uh, and this feels like one of those moments where uh, I wanted to weigh in and shed a little bit of light on things for folks in my audience who might not be following the situation quite as obsessively as I am. So the first of these big pieces of news uh, prove wrong, a prediction that I made uh, in the last episode of this podcast, where I speculated that one of the results of Ukraine's wildly successful offensive to take back territory in the northern part of their country that the Russians have captured and occupied as, as part of their invasion would be the delay of planned referendums being held by the Russians in the territories that they occupy aimed at effectively formally annexing those territories. Now, it's true that the fact that Russian soldiers have now been kicked out of a number of territories in Ukraine mean that it will not be possible for them to continue to import Russian teachers to spew Russian propaganda all over the students in those areas or force such referendums in them, but it seems to have actually accelerated their plans to do that sort of thing in other territories they occupy because uh, sometime, I believe it was yesterday, uh, which I guess will depend on when you're hearing this, uh, the Russians uh, announced plans to accelerate the referendums that they, that, well, that the independent republics of, of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, i.e. territory occupied by little green men sent in by the Russians in 2014, uh, will take place sooner uh, than anticipated. So I'm hoping before too long to bring a guest onto this podcast who can explain in a way that I never could uh, a lot more about life inside those territories that have been, for the last eight years, occupied by the Russians. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry. I mean the Donetsk People's Republic. Uh, and what, if anything, these sham referendums uh, might end up meeting for the people who are living there. So I'll save the details for that later date, but I did need to mention these scheduled uh, quote-unquote referendums because they are important news, uh, A, and B, because they relate heavily to the second big piece of breaking news uh, out of this particular conflict. So about a week ago, I joined most observers of this war, at least the observers who aren't on the wrong side of it, uh, in chuckling at the misfortune of strategic genius Vladimir Putin's uh, rather embarrassing... <laughs> Uh, setback, let's say, as Ukrainian forces last week took back huge chunks of their territory that had been occupied since well, roughly the start of this war by the Russians. I should say, on a darker note, like clockwork, the Ukrainians have discovered 
In these areas, they just liberated from the Russian invaders, mass graves, and other further evidence of yet more horrific atrocities carried out by the Russian occupiers against the Ukrainian civilians, which is just yet another reminder, in case we needed one, that there is something just deeply, almost pathologically wrong with Russia. That's not to say that, that all Russians are bad, and we, of course, as always, uh, do and should uh, salute good people in Russia who stand up against this sort of thing. But there really does seem to be some sort of fundamental, let's say, problem here. Because a lot of countries go to war. Certainly my own, <laughs> at times, is a little bit too eager to try to solve all of our problems with an airstrike. But although war is always bad and is always difficult for the civilian population, we have to be realistic. Most countries that go to war, at least in the modern era, really do seem to be able to do so without their soldiers raping, murdering, and in general systematically tormenting the civilian population and stealing every single thing that isn't bolted to the floor. It can't be said enough. This is not just a typical war like any other. It is a genocide. And oh, I'm tempted to say more here about it really being a special military operation to liberate the people of eastern Ukraine from their Apple products. I think I'll save that for a different episode so I can get to the actual point that I was hoping to make here. So, as I was saying, about a week back, the glorious special military operation suffered rather a setback. Now, did the Tsar take this opportunity to maybe reevaluate his strategy? Consider the possibility that this gamble may not have paid off, considering the latest setback and the fact that over the last six months his military has lost more troops in this invasion of Ukraine than the Soviet Union lost in ten years of war in Afghanistan? Of course not. This pathetic human landfill's entire persona is crafted around the idea that he's infallible and a super tough guy, and the only language he speaks is violence. Which left only the option to further escalate the violence, a move that he announced in a whiny, bitchy, self-pitying, delusional, grievance-filled, alternate-universe pre-recorded rant that surely sounded better in the original German, although I wouldn't know because, tragically, I've forgotten all of my high school German. That said, the Washington Post was kind enough to provide a translation in English, and I've read it. All of it. So you don't have to. For the record, I don't speak Russian either, in case it was somehow unclear the German thing was a Hitler joke. Which I've now ruined by explaining it. Okay, moving on. I'm going to just take a minute here to go over the finer points <laughs> uh, and provide a little bit of context. So... The real headline here was that Russia is now going to a quote-unquote partial mobilization, which means they're going to call up 300,000 additional reserve troops who will then get a little tiny bit of training and then, you know, get thrown into this conflict. The jury's out as to whether or not this will actually be effective or whether it's realistically too late for that to be effective and Putin is then just throwing away the lives of potentially thousands of these people on top of those he's already lost, because, again, apparently uh, losing the same number of people in six months, soldiers in six months, that the Soviet Union lost uh, in Afghanistan in ten years apparently was not enough to convince uh, the Russians that this was a fool's errand. In this speech, as in every other public utterance Putin has made about Ukraine, he appears to continue to labor under the delusion that if he simply repeats the words neo-Nazi enough times, he will manage to convince some substantial portion of the population 
that a country led by a democratically elected Jewish man who lost ancestors in the Holocaust is somehow neo-Nazi. The frankly offensive Nazi comparisons, though, kind of perfectly crystallize the tone of the entire speech, which is to say a discourse grounded entirely in grievance, projection, and just complete falsehood. I'll give you some examples. There, among the insane conspiracy theories, there was a reference to some sort of plot by Western elites to break up Russia and cause Russians to fight amongst themselves to kill themselves on our behalf or something. It's worth noting that presumably when Putin refers to, quote, Russia, unquote, in this case, he likely means also Ukraine and Georgia and Moldova and the Baltic states and Belarus and Finland and, I don't know, the Bahamas. Another common thread in the speech was to, at every conceivable point, attempt to shift blame onto the, quote, West, unquote, probably at least partly because getting your ass handed to you by the collective West is a little bit less embarrassing for the Russian military than being the second best army in Ukraine, <laughs> a country that is a fraction of Russia's size. In one instance of this, Putin claimed that the Ukrainians were about ready to make a deal with them uh, at a meeting they had, I believe, in Turkey a couple weeks after the Russians had invaded them. But then those darn Westerners ordered the Ukrainians to walk away from the table and to not make a deal with them, so because of that, the war continues. This is specifically untrue. We know for a fact that, for one thing, most of the rest of the world expected Ukraine to fold after a, a couple of days or at most weeks of fighting. We know that U.S. Special Forces actively had a plan to evacuate Zelensky when we thought that the government in Kyiv was going to fall. That's when Zelensky gave us the rather more badass 21st century update of Churchill's famous give us the tools and we'll finish the job quote with, I need ammo, not a ride. In another instance, Putin claimed that in the context of this war, the West is openly encouraging the Ukrainians to attack Russian territory. Now, this is, again, specifically untrue, unless there is some... Uh, president, prime minister, foreign minister, or something of a Western country calling on the Ukrainians to carry out airstrikes on Moscow. Additionally, one of the conditions under which the U.S. at least has provided weapons, certain weapons, to the Ukrainians has been that they not use them to attack Russian territory. That being said, it's worth noting here, Russian territory means actual Russian territory not parts of Ukraine that they've recently taken by force. Now, as I mentioned about a minute ago, Vladimir Putin appears to subscribe to the Russia is whatever I say it is notion of the world, summed up pretty perfectly in a quote that I put a couple episodes ago by the famous Czech dissident playwright and eventual president Vaclav Havel, who once said something to the effect of, there's been a kind of Russian problem for many centuries, that Russia doesn't know where it begins and where it ends. But tough shit. The rest of us do. We have maps. I'm sure someone will be happy to translate one into Cyrillic for them. And furthermore, frankly, in the context of Russia having launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, complete with numerous attacks on civilians, widespread rape, murder, looting, genocidal behavior, 
Ukraine, from a moral standpoint, would be well within its rights to strike anywhere they want in Russia. Now, the practicality of that is another matter. I'm not so sure they should. They probably shouldn't. But to listen to the leader of Russia in a speech lecturing others on the importance of territorial integrity and human rights and blaming other people for human rights violations that he himself is responsible for, it's like listening to a lecture from Kanye West on humility or on Donald Trump about the importance of respecting the outcomes of an election or proper English grammar or, you know, how bad it is to bully people online or something. I could go on. The entire speech, in short, in which the president of Russia announced the latest escalation of his brutal war against the neighboring democracy was word for word almost perfectly untrue. It's like performance art. I'm not a thief, yells the bank robber at the police officer attempting to arrest him. I'm not a thief. You're a thief. You know how you take people's money when you give people speeding tickets? You can't arrest me. You're also a thief. So that's it. Russia will now, as is their practice, hold sham rigged referendums in the territories they've brutally conquered from the neighboring democracy so that they will then be able to claim when the neighboring democracy attempts to take back those territories as they have succeeded in doing in other territories recently, Russia will be able to claim, at least to itself, at least in the delusional mind of its crazy president, that its territory is being attacked. Oh, and did I mention that Putin rounded off his fever dream rant with his most overt threat yet referencing Russia's nuclear capabilities in the context of defending, quote, Russian territory, unquote, saying that in the context of a threat to Russian territory, they would use, and I quote, all systems available to us. It's terrifying, I know. But rule number one of military strategy around, uh, well, nuclear strategy in particular, is you simply cannot back down in the face of nuclear blackmail like that. I know it's scary, and I know it sounds crazy, but you just can't set the precedent of giving in to the insane, and in this case, genocidal demands of the crazy person threatening you with nukes. You can't do it. The Ukrainians sure as hell aren't going to do it, and we shouldn't either. At the end of the day, in my opinion, the correct response to these two big pieces of news, to the announced illegitimate referendums in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, and to Putin's crazy pants the entire world is Russia, and if you threaten me in any way, I'm going to nuke you. And by the way, we're protected democracy, and you're the one threatening human rights. Is to just ignore them. Ignore them. Keep standing with our allies in Ukraine. Keep defending democracy. Keep standing up for freedom. And keep standing against the delusional genocidal regime in the Kremlin. Which feels pretty ironic to say, considering that I've now just recorded a podcast episode on this instead of packing a bag like I should have been doing. So with that, I think I'll get back to packing a bag. All right, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you're enjoying the podcast as it gets off the ground again, please do subscribe, share it with somebody else you think might like it. 
and or hit like or leave a review on any of the main podcast platforms. Oh hey, that reminds me, programming note, I had recorded an episode a couple of weeks back reflecting on the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev, which appeared on every platform except for Apple Podcasts. So for those of you, I think the majority actually, who listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts who are interested uh, in my thoughts on the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev, um, that appears to have, that issue around that appears to have been rectified and that should now be up on Apple Podcasts. As I've also mentioned in past episodes, I am in fact on Twitter at OWS Kendall. I really am continuing to think about exactly how I want to build this podcast out over the next phase and I welcome uh, any input from any of you that want to weigh in or send me a message or something uh, about things you want me to talk about or ways you think I ought to structure the podcast. I'm happy to hear any and all ideas. Um, so please feel free to reach out there. Uh, as always, thanks to my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork. And thanks to you for listening. <laughs>